And text me if you uh, stop listening after you get done hearing Pat. So just curious how many of you do that. All right. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. The unknown God, we're going to talk about that today from Acts chapter 17, the unknown God. And as we do so, there's a little article in the reporter, which is sent out by our church body. And uh, in there, it talks about the front lines and about some Marines having served in Iraq. And there's a little section I want to read to you. It says this, in seven months of deployment in Iraq, Malstrom, who was the chaplain there, said his camp was hit with over 200 rounds of mortar rockets. The possibility of death was present at every moment and in every place. Even the portable toilets were speckled with shrapnel holes. No matter where you go, every time you get in the vehicle, every time you use the bathroom, every time you go anywhere, you're thinking, man, this could be it. This could be the day that I see Christ face to face. After a group of Marines was caught in an ambush in Iraq, the Saturday before Mother's Day, a critical incident stress management team was brought in to help the survivors process what they had gone through. Malstrom, the chaplain, remembers the discussion that followed. The team went around the room, and each Marine described his experience. The first one said, We drove down the street, and this panel van pulled out in front of us, and it exploded. And I thought that hell had opened up. I knew I was going to die, but I knew where I was going because of my faith in Christ. And I prayed that God would help me to save as many of our guys as I could. Each guy they talked to, 15 guys, all said the same thing. When they got to the last guy, he said, Man, you're going to have to tell me about this Jesus. That's what Paul was doing in the Areopagus in Athens. He was telling them about this Jesus. And as we think on that, it reminds me of, because he comes in and he says, I can tell by all that you've got going on around here that you're very religious. And Paul Copan writes, is God a moral monster in his book? And he says this, if God exists and designed us to connect with him, then we're actually functioning properly when we're being directed toward belief in God. What that means is, not only is Athens very religious, but everywhere you go, people are very religious. Romans chapter 1 tells us that the only way we aren't very religious, religious is when we suppress the truth. Which happens a lot, because why do we suppress the truth? Because we want life to go our own way. I was sitting with someone very recently, and as we sat, they were saying, you know, sometimes the struggle, why people don't want to go to church, is they don't want someone to be in authority over them. So they suppress the truth. Okay. He goes on, and he says this. On top of this, we're also left wondering why people would think up gods and spirits in the first place. Why would humans voluntarily sacrifice their lives for some intangible realm? Maybe it's because the physical domain doesn't contain the source of coherence, order, morality, meaning, and guidance for life. 
humans, though embodied, are moral, spiritual beings. They're able to rise above the physical and biological to reflect on it and on their condition. This can result in the search for a world transcending God. When I was teaching at Concordia, one of the students came up to me and says, I don't believe in God because science hasn't proved it, because science just doesn't show there is a God. And I said to him, science only goes so far. Science can't answer that question. It's a philosophical question. It's not a scientific one. But people have good questions And we don't ever want to stop people from asking those questions. There are a lot of good questions. What is God doing? Why does God allow certain things to happen? There's all sorts of great questions. But science, as in most everything else, has its limits. What kind of a God are we looking for? Well, I I found it very interesting. There is a, a prayer to any God. And it comes from the Sumerian time, the Akkadian time, so very, very ancient times, from the, basically towards the very beginning of our Bible. And this is a prayer to any God. I'm just going to read uh, sections to you just so you get a chance to hear it. This is what it says. And again, I'm not reading the whole prayer, just part of the prayer. May the fury of my Lord's heart be quieted toward me. May the God who is not known be quieted toward me. May the goddess who is not known be quieted toward me. May the God whom I know not be quieted towards me. May the goddess whom I know or do not know be quieted toward me. It goes on later. In ignorance have I eaten that forbidden by my God. In ignorance I have set foot on that prohibited by my goddess. O Lord, my transgressions are many. Great are my sins. O my God, transgressions are many. Many are my sins. O God, whom I know or do not know, my transgressions are many. Great are my sins. The transgressions which I have committed, indeed, I do not know. The sins which I have done, indeed, I do not know. The forbidden thing which I have eaten, indeed, I do not know. And it goes on. I utter laments, but no one hears me. I am troubled. I am overwhelmed. I cannot see. O my God, merciful one, I address to thee the prayer ever inclined to me. I kiss the feet of my goddess. I crawl before thee. How long, O my goddess, whom I know or do not know, I, thy hostile heart, will be quieted. Man is dumb. He knows nothing. Mankind, everyone that exists, what does he know? Whether he is committing sin or doing good, he does not even know. I read that to you because to an unknown God, who knows? If we don't know who the God is, we don't know what their standards are, and we don't know how to be reconciled to God. This person who writes this was obviously sick. They were undergoing some struggle. And what do all of us do when we lay in the hospital? What did I do to deserve this? We're always asking that question, okay? And so when we ask that question, we don't know the answer. And how desperately bad would it be if our God was unknown, But we get to come in to people, to people's lives who are struggling and say, let me tell you what our God is like. Even before Jesus came, God said, this is who I am. A God of love and compassion, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's how he describes himself. A God who is love and patient and kind. A God who loves to forgive and relents from sending calamity. That's how he describes himself. 
He is the God who says, these are my standards. Think Ten Commandments. Think the 613 laws of the Old Testament. But basically, you can boil them down to two really important laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We all tend to really, really, really love ourselves, right? And so we're called to love others that same way. So God not only lets us know who he is and what he's like, but what he expects. And when we fail, the Old Testament gave those sacrificial, that sacrificial system that's pointing forward to Jesus, who was the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me, the one-time sacrifice so that we know that in him we can be reconciled. The unknown God, that which so many people don't know about, we know. Do you wake up every morning saying, Lord, how blessed I am. Philip said in John 14, let me read the words so I get them exactly right. Our gospel reading this morning was from John 14. This is just a little bit before it. Verses 8 and 9 says this. Philip said, Lord, show us a father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. If we see Jesus, we see the Father. We know what the Father is like. If I want to know what God is like, I look at Jesus, and I'm overwhelmed by his love and his goodness, his patience, his mercy, and his holiness. Remember how he kicked the people out of the temple? So we get to know who he is. And yet people suffer and struggle. People suffer and struggle at church too. Sometimes we're mistreated most by those who should treat us best. You ever experienced that? There's a very famous man. He goes on to describe God this way. His name is Richard Dawkins, if you've ever heard of him. And he writes this. Dawkins' most notable description of Yahweh is this one. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. And after having read that list, I'd like you to come up and read that list for me. <laughs> Those are some big words. Okay, that's what he describes him as. So interesting, he is an atheist. But if you listen to that, doesn't it sound like he's angry at someone who doesn't exist? That's very interesting. So what that probably lets us know is there's probably a whole lot more behind the scenes we ought not to mock him, nor mock anyone who has really good questions and is really struggling and may even say things that could, we would feel hurtful because in the middle of their not knowing the God that we know, they have all sorts of questions that we want to love them and walk with them of enough so we have the chance to share with them what our God is really like. A woman one time said to me years ago, and I had no answer for her, Zero. 
she said to me, who does God think he is? Always wanting everyone to run around and worship him. And I thought, here's a really great answer. I read this from Paul Copan. He writes this. During his Christian phase, singer Bob Dylan came out with the song, Gotta Serve Somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, he sang, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Jesus tells us that worship is directed to either God or a God substitute of our making. That is an idol. In the Sermon on the Mount, he asserts that we can't serve two masters at the same time. We can't love both God and wealth. In Romans 6, Paul affirms that we are either slaves to obedience or disobedience. As we've seen, we're naturally religious creatures. Now, it turns out, God, if it turns out that God truly exists, then worship turns out to be the moral. Spirit, I'm, t- I'm sorry. If it, if it turns out that God truly exists, then worship turns out to be moral. Spiritual creatures getting in touch with reality. Just as genuine humility is rooted in reality, so is worship. Why does God insist that we worship him? For the same reason that parents tell their young children to stay away from fire or speeding cars. God doesn't want humans to detach themselves from ultimate reality, which only ends up harming us. God's calling for our worship isn't a manifestation of pride, of false, overinflated views of himself. The call to worship means inclusion in the life of God. Worship expresses an awareness of God's and thus our proper place in the order of things. And it also transforms us into what we were designed to be. In the end, God desires to be known as God, which is only appropriate and the ultimate good for creatures. On the other hand, for humans to desire universal, eternal fame would be reality-denying idolatry. That was heavy. I, I get it. But think for just a moment. If God didn't want our praise, wouldn't that be wrong? Wouldn't that be odd? Wouldn't that be outside of reality? God made everything. He's the potter. We're the clay. And for us to stand up as a lump of clay and say, you need to do more for me and get out of the way, God. Let me run my life myself as clay. Thanks for gasping. That makes no sense, right? And when we live under the one who made us, And worship him? That's living in reality. Because from what I've read in certain science books, the universe as it exists can't be eternal. And if the universe isn't eternal, and we believe in a big bang, as Greg Coco likes to say, there has to be a big banger. And that would be God. What we need to do is love people enough to walk with them so we can share with them who the unknown God is, the God who made everything. In one of the Psalms, it says this, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Stands here with us today. If things are broken and I want somebody to to take care of, uh, oh, I don't know, if I just need muscle, I'm going to look to Stan because he just looks intimidating just sitting right there, okay? 
If I want my plumbing fixed, I'm going to get Jim to come over. If I want some music done, I'll bring Kurt over. Y'all got gifts. But ultimately, when I run through the hardships of life, I want the God who has made heaven and earth to be listening when I cry out to him. If not, then you might be looking at yourself as the ultimate God. And I'm not sure about you, but that seems like a very puny God. Kind of like, remember that Avengers, when the Hulk smashes Loki? When he calls himself a God, and then the Incredible Hulk says, puny God. Now, it's one thing to have people out there who say God is unknown. But when you and I get into our struggles, you know what oftentimes happens? We live life as though God were unknown to us too. Isn't that true? Don't we freak out sometimes forgetting our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth? Don't we sometimes get so anxious about what's going to happen next? What could possibly happen because of this virus? All those different things. I asked my wife a couple nights ago, what do you look forward to? And she had a, little, a, few, a list of things she's looking forward to. And based on some of my readings lately, I said, you know what I want my answer to always be? Seeing Jesus face to face. I'm not going to go out and do stupid things. I'm not going to go out and try and spread the virus or get the virus or do anything like that. But if my last day comes soon, my hope of what I'm longing for will remain the same. But when we lose sight of the, the God who has been making himself known to us, we get into trouble. Psalm 42, verse 5, Why, O Lord, why, O my soul, are you disturbed? Why so um, disquieted within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Why are you disturbed, O my soul? Why? Because I've forgotten the God who is with me, the God who is for me, the God who gave his son to die for me, the God who says I'm using all things for good, especially as you have to wait on me. Psalm 77 is just an awesome psalm for this. Please listen to these beautiful words. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. Do you know, that's the first problem in my life. When I have problems, are any of you like your messed up pastor sometimes where your first thing is to try and figure out a way to handle it and your second thing is to complain to other people? And then eventually you might get over to figuring out that maybe I should talk to God about this. Usually with a bunch of outside helpers saying, you should really talk to God. Have you invited him in? Is that how it is for you? And if you're not like me, hallelujah, if you bring it up to him, how many times do you have to bring it up to him before you're finally saying, enough, God's not here, he doesn't care, I'm out of here, I'll do it myself. How many times does it take you? One, three, five, more, Hey, everybody, my group is real quiet this morning. Are you saying anything out there? 
How many times does it take before you're like, you know what, God doesn't care. This is evidence God doesn't care. He's not for me. You know what, he is. But he wants you to keep crying out to him. In the desert, God says, I tested you. I humbled you to see what was in your heart. What's in my heart far too often is a materialistic heart that says I want comfort and pleasure. That's in my heart. What's in yours? Is Jesus residing there on the throne, filling your life with hope and joy? Or is it you longing for life to go your way? Doggone it. It better. If God's a good God, it's going to go my way. What was that incredible Hulk? Community God thing again. And so when I learn to cry out to him, then it goes on. It says, when I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched up my untiring hands and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered, O God, and I groaned. I amused and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. We have wonderful, lovely, incredible, awesome people in our congregation who can say they are their, their words. Those are their words. Those with the chronic illnesses, those with the chronic relationship problems, they've cried out to God again and again and again and are continuing to cry to him. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? A young, a young lady at Concordia University years ago, she's now married with, I think, a couple kids. She would say when she went through these daily level 10 migraine headaches for the whole year, over a year, that she said, I'm learning how to pray from the Psalms. She also said something that I'll probably never live. She says, just because I'm in pain doesn't give me the right to be mean to other people. I don't think I'll ever mature to that point. But she was there at 20. Then it says, has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. And then he goes on to describe the exodus through the Red Sea. We can think of the exodus through the Red Sea. We can think of God bringing his exiles back from Babylon. We can think of God giving us Jesus, his death and resurrection. We can think about all these awesome things and remember that God has not forsaken us. And so that the unknown God goes away for us because we know this God is so good. And finally, one other thing that I want to finish on, and that's this. We think of the God who is unknown. But I want to think of the God who allows my sins to be unknown. Maybe you and I fail to bring, to call out to God. Maybe you and I fail to, to remember our God and reflect on him and rejoice in him. That's why we come together on Sunday, that we might be reminded of who he is for us and for our salvation. We might partake 
starting next week, of communion to receive that wonderful gift. And when we do that, we're reminded that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What it says in Psalm 103 and Micah 7, I'll finish on these two. Listen to Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And Micah 7. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depth of the sea. Your sins are as far away from you as the east is from the west. Your sins are thrown into the sea, never to be found again. The God for whom our sins are now unknown. When you confess your sins like you did earlier today, it's a load off of God's mind. He no longer thinks about them ever again. How many of you rehearsed your sins of the past? How many of you have great joy that they are gone, never to be thought of ever again because of the work of Jesus? That's the desire. That's the God we come to worship, right? The God who is not unknown to us and the God who continues to remind us again what we so desperately need to hear, that our sins are unknown to him. Amen.